football's back. And Whole Foods Market is everything you need for a delicious tailgater watch party. Level up your game day hosting with marinated chicken wings, chicken sausages, hot dogs, and more. Headed to a friend's house? On the way, grab crowd-pleasing snacks from Whole Foods Market, like late July tortilla chips and Primal Kitchen queso dip. And don't forget the beer. Very important. Just check out that local selection. Elevate game day with Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again. And that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. That's how oh, she's got it. Oh, it. I don't believe it. That's unbelievable. He was throwing it up. He thought he had it. It was a little lollipop. And the man who did so well with the bat has taken his eye off the ball. And the ball has just dribbled out of his fingers. He was about to throw it up. I hate grade cricket. The grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on today's show. Australia crumble under the curse of South Africa and Alpha Duplessis, but can Australia and Ricky Ponting on a Birmingham balcony do the same when Australia play England in the second semi-final on Thursday? Warner scores another 100, and Mitch Stark equals the most ever wickets in a World Cup. So who will be more smug, Stark or Shakib Al-Hassan? Chris Lynn joins the show to discuss the World Cup, as does uh, Dan Norcross from TMS, hopefully, and is Nathan Ryan right in saying that it's now England's to lose? By the way, Rohit Sharma has now hit five centuries in this World Cup. Hashtag Ask TGC gets into legacies, benefits of quitting, Pride Month in New York, funniest TGC guests and girlfriends not going on sporting events while on holiday. My name is Ian Higgins and I'm joined by Dave Edwards in Sydney and Sam Perry in Melbourne. And lads, we've played 45 games to get to the exact four teams that just about everyone predicted would make the semifinals, but here we go. Good evening, gentlemen, uh, Dave and Higo as well. I guess firstly, let's deal with the most recent thing that happened, uh, FAF, uh, which for some reason auto-predicts to dad for me on my phone. <laughs> um, he killed us again. Yes. Uh, why does he like to kill us so much? Uh, when Australia invariably well, go up against England and then possibly India or New Zealand, uh, if they struggle... They'll look back to this game, and they'll look back to Faf, which, again, I'll just remind you, autocorrects to Dad. Um, mm-hmm. Faf killing us. What, 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 where do these demons come from? Well, Pez, uh, great to be with you, boys, um, today for the episode. Uh, I think you've just said it there, it autocorrects to Dad. I mean, every Australian cricketer obviously has an iPhone. They would be typing in Dad all the time. But did it autocorrect from Dad to Faf? Does it, <laughs> does it rewind, or is it just the one way? I think it does. Yeah, I'm just checking now. It does. Shit. Faf, please answer the phone. Yes, it does. But 
Lads, let me, let me put it to you that Australia might not have had the rub of the green in this one. I mean, Aaron Finch lost his 33rd toss in a row, whatever his record is, uh, belting wicket. South Africa started very well. Australia did not start very well. Stark was poor uh, initially in his first spell. Pat Cummins not much better. Berendorf the same. You know, batting-wise, Kawaja goes down. A bit of magic to run out uh, to run out Stoinis. Um, a lot of things didn't really go Australia's way, uh, and yet they've gone within 10 runs. So, I mean, is it all doom and gloom? It's Africa. You look at that team, South Africa, and it's still good. I mean, mm. I mean, Dan the Dustin averages like seventy-five or something. Like in, in ODI cricket, you know, Faf Duplessis is a great player. De Kock fifth fifty in this World Cup. You know, it's a decent team. They've just been abysmal all tournament, but they were always going to put it together for one game. And maybe this was this was uh, this game. Nah, <laughs> they haven't been able to hit the ball off the square <laughs> all tournament. Yeah. Uh, mm. And uh, rub of the green. I mean. Aaron Finch was giving catching practice uh, from Imran to here. I don't think I've ever seen an opening batsman just sort of back foot drive a leg spinner to cover mm. uh, other than mm. when they're giving catching practice. No, I mean, look, uh, you know, it exposed a few things with Australia, didn't it? As I say this, I get really worried about, you know, the uh, mountains of reviews that are coming in just telling us to get behind the boys. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I'm, extra- it's I'm incredible. scared now uh, to do so, but it's, it's true. I mean, we've... We, as in Australia, have played extremely well on uh, slow, low wickets, uh, but when it's dry and it's got a bit of pace and a bit of bounce, uh, haven't we haven't been as effective. Yeah, Stark and Cummins were fairly poor to kick things off. Credit to De Kock, credit to Faf, uh, and, uh, and yeah, you know, that South Africa got ahead pretty much, mm. you know, dominated 80% of the game uh, uh, until the end where Warner and Kerry were outstanding, uh, but it was too little too late. And as, let me put it to you. I mean, we, we've been talking about this throughout the whole World Cup. We've been talking about how Australia's going to win the 1999 World Cup all over again. Part of that now is batting first. Australia have lost both games. The, the two games Australia have lost, they've been, they've been chasing. <clears throat> England have lost three games this World Cup, lost them all chasing. Um, so Thursday, massive semi-final. Hmm. Does the coin toss decide the match? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, whoever wins the toss wins the match. And yes. yeah, win toss, bat, lose toss, lose game, lose face, um, <laughs> lose tournament. Might as well go home before the game starts. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a big coin toss, isn't it? Uh, and going out to a coin toss when you've had, you know, a lot of, you know, a lack of success in, in recent matches leading up, there's a confidence you need when going out to the toss. And I mm. think the coin knows that. You know, mm. the coin can sense that you're nervous. Mm. I'm a bit worried mm. about how the toss is going to pan out. Mm. Obviously, we need to go home if we lose the toss. Lads, um, I've, uh, I've, got this, I've got this thing with, like, with sports especially, but like human beings in, in general have like an obsession with the future. Like it's, it's always about, you know, let's, in a cricketing sense, it's always about the next series. You know, mm. we can't play Hayeswood because he's got to be right for the Ashes. You know, future-proofing. Future-proofing, yeah, you know, it, it's, all about, it's all about superannuation, you know, global warming. It's all, it's all based around like our obsession with the future. You know, for instance, uh, one of my sporting teams I support, Liverpool. Fantastic season just had. Champions League winners, 97 points, record, record point uh, acquiring season. But we're talking about as soon as the, as soon as the last game is played, <clears throat> who's, who are they going to sign? Next mm. season's more important. Let yep. me put it to you that, like, there, there are no more bigger games for four years than a semi-final in England against England than on Thursday. <laughs> I mean, this is, like, this is literally as good as it gets. I mean, it could literally go either way. England are probably favourites, yeah. not only for this game, but to probably win the World Cup, probably slightly. It is closer. I think Thursday... 
is going to be either way at some point in the game is going to be absolutely mm. nail biting. It does like it simply doesn't get any better than this for four years probably. And and he goes, it's also a great opportunity for Australia to beat England while also appeasing our masters, the BCCI. That's you true. know, India would prefer to play Australia in the final. India controls world cricket. So if we win this, you know, we beat England, which is great, but we also get to, you know, appease our masters. I think there's something in this. He goes, uh, you, you say that it's the biggest game in four years. It certainly is in short-form cricket. And I think Australia have has kind of set itself along those lines too. Uh, I was having a beer at the pub with a couple of cricket colleagues. I won't kind of name who it was who said this because I don't essentially want to mischaracterise them, but I thought they made a very good point when they said that basically Australia hasn't given a shit about ODI cricket for like three or four years since they won the World Cup. Mm -hmm. They've barely played Stark. They've barely played Hazelwood. Same goes Cummins. Mm -hmm. Whereas England have invested everything in ODI cricket for the last four Mm -hmm. years and they've essentially just... They're essentially meeting in the same match. And, And I think that's why... If Australia win, it would probably be the funniest victory uh, mm. of all time, g- given the amount that uh, that England have invested in. Australia don't deserve to win off the back of all of that, but in many ways, maybe they do. Because cricket, if anything, as we've learned through the great cricketer, is about not appearing to care at all. Oh, I mean, yeah, fuck deserving, man. I, I got to the point where I don't, you know, not, I don't care about deserving at all. I mean, what I want in my heart of hearts is for it to rain because Australia will get through and like there's nothing more satisfying in a club cricket sense than finishing higher up on a table than someone and it raining in May or, or April and you just go through to the next match <laughs> and you're in the dressing room there's not a ball's been bowled it's pissing down outside covers on the square and yeah. you're standing outside the opposition dressing room just mm. singing the team song you know bashing a stump against a, against a solo bin as loud as you can because you've made it through to the semi-finals that's what mm. I want that's that's what I really want on I mean, the, on the rest know, day I, as, on the reserve day as well just the following day it rains even harder like Owen Morgan's just like banging on the door trying to talk to the umpires walking out onto the ground like you know looking in the covers when are we going out boys Australia, <laughs> Australia can just see grainy images of them playing like indoor cricket Steve yeah. Smith batting yeah. forever yeah. uh, left handed etc yeah Aaron, Aaron Finch is really out there that the if it was all yeah. televised as well like I hope they don't cut away to like reruns of some shitty 90s sitcom I just mm-hmm. want to watch you know the agony of Owen Morgan waiting to get out there and you know banging through a glass pane and mm-hmm. Walking out there with umpires trying to influence decisions just for eight hours, yeah. two days in a row. The entire England well, team are in full like like England kit, uh, in that powder blue, yeah. like with spikes on, ready. Like, yeah, oh, they're they're wearing what they're going to go out, so we have to reverse the yeah on the balcony. That's how you influence umpires. Australia's out on the ground, like without any shoes on, just with training gear on, like playing that like weird golf game that like some of the club teams play, just going around the ground mm. or playing soccer mm. or whatever. Both of them just peacocking yeah. to the max to suggest to the umpires, you know, either that like we'll be on in ten minutes or we will not be on for ten days. The really That's cohesive right. clubs that you know play those those drills before the game and they all look like they're having a lot of fun and that really denotes unity. Mm. That's always really intimidating to the opposition. It's like in the 2005 at the Oval Test match in the final session where the, the final test match of that series was called off due to bad light in the last session. Australia all went out there with sunglasses on. <laughs> it's a very similar thing. I like the idea of Aaron Finch as well, just, just like really questioning the run-ups. You know, Pat Cummins, you know, going through a bowling motion and like slipping because he's wearing, you know, he's like non-spice <laughs> yeah, shoes. Yeah. Like, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, you can't, you can't dangerous. play. Fuck umpires love a rain play, don't they? It's like mm. this is my well, time to shine the hour, now. Mate. They get paid yeah. by the hour, these blokes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's a good point. Um, okay, so that's how Australia can make it through um, to the World Cup. It's interesting you say that you know Australia hasn't given a shit about cricket, or your colleagues at least. Um, not, I like that you, you went to see your friends, not even your friends, just colleagues, just, just people that you know. You went to see them and just talking about cricket. But uh, Australia hasn't cared about cricket three and a half years. You can tell that by... We still don't know what the best team is, <laughs> um, and we're like into the semi-final. Obviously, there's been some breaking news literally just before we, we've jumped uh, we've jumped in to record this podcast. Kawaja and uh, Stoinis uh, have massive injury clouds over them, so Wade and Mitch Marsh have been brought into the squad, who might possibly be better players um, for for this team. Anyway, we don't know because we're still figuring this out as we go into the semi-final of the World Cup, as I just said. Um, this might not be the worst thing. I'm thinking particularly in Stoinis's case, who has not played well for Australia in possibly six months. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, I mean, since he hit that massive ton against New Zealand in a losing side, it must be said, on a postage yes. stamp. Great, great performances have been few and far between. He's been a promising player. Like November? Pardon? That, that, was, that was before last summer, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was, was like... that was two that was two summers ago, possibly more, <laughs> actually three summers ago. Yeah. But yeah, Fuck, so he's done well, hasn't he done well? He's promised yeah. a couple of good performances with the ball, and obviously there's so much potential there with the bat, primarily due to Riggan levers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even with the bat, yes. he's really fallen away, hasn't he? Like, just takes a thousand balls to get underway, by which time he mm-hmm. tends to get out, and then the side mm. strain usually curtails anyone's ability to bowl. They hung on to him though. <laughs> didn't they? They really wanted it to succeed for him, but now they're kind of forced mm. into a decision. And it looks like the, the change for him will be either Mitch Marsh or that some are suggesting that Nathan Coulton-Isle can come in as an extra bowler and, uh, you know, he, he may just do enough with the bat to grab a spot. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It is. What are your thoughts on this for, uh, from Mitch Marsh's perspective? And, uh, like, he was drafted in the squad originally and Saunders was injured. He, he injured his left strain and now he's injured his right side strain. Um how would you feel if you Mitch Marsh where he's been brought into the squad and they say, no, well, Stoinis is injured, but we prefer an injured Stoinis ahead of you? <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it, he's just happy to be there, I think. I mean, Mitch Marsh <laughs> okay. is just the kind of bloke who's just happy to be among, you know, similarly aged men with similar interests in a group sure. environment, hanging yeah. out with the boys. I, I don't yeah. think he's too worried about getting on there. He'll yeah. be happy just for social capital reasons to possibly be on the balcony, um, yep. you know, clapping arms aloft a victory to Australia in the World Cup final. The, and, and that'll be great for his brand going forward, I believe. The, the great opportunity for Mitch Marsh is the same as, you know, those who follow rugby league would have for Mitchell Pearce. I mean, this is the, like the, 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 we're just entering into a huge week of binary sport if you're a rugby mm. league and cricket fan with State of Origin decider as well as a World Cup semi-final, where <laughs> there's just redemption and blame stories like up for grabs Hugely, and say so for Mitchell Marsh and both Mitchell Pearce, they've just been yep. blamed for losses in big moments, in big matches for nearly a decade, let's say. And because we're all so fickle, all will be forgiven. Even just, even just a, a match-winning thirty from Mitchell Marsh mm-hmm. would, would erase the entirety of the of the blame that's been ascribed to him. Would you not say that if he's able to do something that influences the match to win against England, he's a hero? Yep. Binary. We are so desperate these days in this climate to feel something, whether it's to blame someone or to absolve someone of all sins. We're eager. Mm. And, mm. yeah, if, if he hits 30, if, if Mitchell Pearce, you know, has, has six good touches and, and, and wins New South Wales the origin, all, all their sins will be absolved immediately. We just want to believe, we want to feel. 
To be fair, if Mitch Marsh gets one for 40 off 10 overs and hits 25 a runner ball, he's contributed more than Stoinis has in this calendar year, dare I say. And we do, uh, you know, I say that with, with plenty of love for, for Stoinis because I do want to partially get behind the boys as well. And get on the show. Um, Please but, come on the show, Stoinis. Yeah, true. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, I, th- I, think, I think at this point, Mitch Marsh can only can only, um, you know, affect the Australian team positively, really. And then we come along to Matt Wade, who's an interesting one, because Matt Wade has been plundering runs for the better part of 12, 18 months now, a couple of years. I mean, George Bailey was in the show uh, last weekend, and he was saying, you know, he's been doing it for a long time, deserves to be there, smashing him. Pete Hanscom's probably ahead of him. Um, in the in the squad rankings, um, Pete Hanson was a very important player in the UAE when Australia just won over there. Scored some scored some good runs batting at four. So it's it's interesting because Smith might now come to three. You'd suggest. I mean, would Steve Smith now? But I mean, I presume Kawhi just popped his hammy. He's not he's not going to be able to come back from a hamstring in like four days. That's just that doesn't happen. Um, so I'd say confidently, without knowing the full extent of Kawhi's injury, right. that he's not going to play. So I imagine love... talking about like moving from four to three as a narrative. Mm. Like, why mm. is it the biggest thing in the world? Mm. I know that we're going off a bit, but why? Well, yeah, I think with Smith is like, so um, I think he averages like fifty-five at three, and then thirty-seven at four. It's a reasonable gap. I mean, I think. But the, what's the context behind those innings? <laughs> like, I know that I know that that's the result, and those are the averages. But you kind of need to deep yeah. dive those figures. I think he just you? faces more balls, you know. Especially yeah. if like Warner and Finch are doing quite well, it's just like he's your best batsman. Have him facing as many balls as possible. And Not so I think one, if yeah. Smith bats three, well, if yeah. Hanscom comes into the side, Smith will bump up ahead of him. And so does if, that mean that Maxwell's our worst batsman because he faces the least amount of balls? Well, mm. Both are true, I think, mm. at the moment. I mean, you have to say that these injuries are kind of a bit of a blessing for Maxwell, who was bounced out again. That's now four times in this tournament he's been out to the short ball. Pezzo, you might have been saying a couple of shows ago that, like, everyone everyone knows how to get him out now. You, like, you just bring on your quickest bowler, you bowl short, and he'll go for a hook and he'll get out some way. I mean, he's been out to, was it Sheldon Cottrell got him out to the West Indies? Yeah. Joffre Archer got him out. Rabada got him out again here. And uh, was it Jimmy Neesham got him caught and bowled, um, hooking again. So he just bowls short to him. It, I mean, it's, it's an incredible, incredibly basic ploy. But, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Clay Maxwell. Like, he's, like every time he goes to bat, you think, maybe this is the time he gets 80 off 30 balls, maybe. But 95% of the time now, it's like, well, he'll, he'll get 15 and he'll give you all the hope in the world. He'll edge the fuck out of you and then and then just let you down. Yeah, and, like, I guess getting out to short balls is not something you kind of – like, it's as much a physical, technical problem as it is a mental problem as well. So – yeah, it, it's it's almost as though he's a like he's a little bit of a walking wicket, and it, I guess like it vindicates Justin Langer wanting to bat him at seven through the summer when everyone was like, bit, are, you, yeah. "Are you fucking kidding, Maxwell? He's trumper, you know. Mm. Maxwell should be mm. three. He should be helming Australian cricket in all forms mm. of the game, leading all forms of the game. Entire marketing strategies written around him from the age of eighteen through to thirty-five. He can do whatever mm. he wants. But he said Langer's like, you should bat at seven because. Essentially, you're a liability after about 15 balls, and it's so, and so it's proving. The lad was too nice to say that. You know, he, he couched it in kind of nice compliments for years, but in reality, he should have just come out and said that. Yeah, I mean, in in Maxwell's defence, like he does, he's he's an electric fielder. He still can contribute with the ball as well. And you know, all the romantics within us still wonder if he's still 
for whatever reason, has some sort of 140 not out innings in him. But he seems to be batting like a, a cat on a hot tin roof, you know, at the moment. Like he just, it doesn't seem to be any. Uh, it's almost as though he, he knows that that short ball's coming, so he's going to try and get as many as he can before it comes and gets him. And he just seems susceptible to genuine pace as well, which is a shame because obviously, you know, when he's on song, it, there's no one better to watch. Pez, I'm a believer. And I'll continue to believe okay. until there's proof otherwise. I mean, sure, there's a fair sample size now that it's not going to happen. I appreciate that. But when Glenn Maxwell comes out to bat for Australia in the semi-final of the World Cup at Headingley, at Edgebaston, I mean, and Australia are four for 100, chasing 433, and Glenn Maxwell comes to the crease, I'm thinking we're about to see something special here. I know you can't get bonus points in a World Cup, but I think we'd be confident of taking him a bonus point in that semi-final. I'm going to believe. I'm just going to believe. He's exhilarating. He gives me the most the most fun watching cricket. Also because I know it's like that. It's just a time bomb. It's just like this could last for an hour and a half. could last for 90 seconds. It's, it's one of those two things. The curious effect. It's the curious effect, exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, well, so I mean, it's it's only it's only you know a week ago that, a, that England were basically playing for their spot in the final. Um, but the, obviously, with the structure of the World Cup, all it came down to was England just needed to win four games and they win the World Cup. They've won two of those games very convincingly. Now they now play against Australia. I mean, it's a fucking dream scenario uh, for them. I mean, they would have had to play Australia at Lords in the final if it, if it got that far. They're going to play them at Birmingham instead, which is probably one of their favourite grounds. Uh, it means they avoid India. It's, you know, Jason Roy's back. You know, the, the momentum in this tournament has been incredible. I, and I think it's actually probably one of the best World Cups there's been in, 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 in our living memory anyway, lads, in my opinion. But, like, I just think this semi-final is going to be so good, but I just can't help but feel that England have got momentum now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think England are going to win. Thoughts? Oh, well, you should be axed from the podcast immediately for not getting behind the boys. But um, My apologies. I think yeah. uh, it's kind of – if it has that feeling, he goes, like – while you might have been the better team through the 90 minutes, you've kind of conceded a goal, uh, mm. you know, to square up the match going into extra time. So that's the other, t- mm. the other side has the momentum. Uh, mm. I-, I feel like that's kind of how it is with mm. England as well. But that said, like, you know, Nathan Lyon's already commenced the uh, the mind games, if you will, you know, yes. saying that yes. it's England's to lose, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's enough time between now and Thursday for that narrative to take hold. Uh, it, it, it is England's to lose. In, you know, Australia would be well served making the point that most thought that a semi-final finish was a pretty good result for them, given how much mm-hmm. care they've showed for ODI cricket. I mean, deep mm-hmm. down, a lot of Aussies, you know, as we said in the last cast, feel like we should win every single micro moment of every sporting match ever, uh, whenever mm-hmm. we turn on the TV. So when that happens, we will expect a win. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, if you do try and if you do step back, uh, it would be far more devastating for England to be knocked out um, than, than Australia. Um, it is, we've obviously got no market in India and have no desire to get there because, um, you know, it's just never going to happen for us. So obviously we're cheering on our, our Kiwi brethren and sisterins uh, enormously in the in the first semi-final. Would have thought so, he goes. Um, I reckon there's a, there is a market in India. we just got to get up boots on the ground for it um, mm, okay. in, in order to exploit it, maybe maybe a live show tour at some point. But, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll be back in the boys. It's It's been, you know, we, we didn't treat New Zealand very well four years ago. That's true. <laughs> I was reading, again, just, just reminiscing about that um, 2015 final when Brad Haddon 
yeah. just gave the ugliest send-offs. And, and yeah. then he like later said that they deserved it because New Zealand were too nice and that made him feel uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> like I know the cricket landscape's changed a lot since then, but yeah. you know, this is, that's what worked back then. Like I kind of want to see... I want to see it again. I, I'm kind of glad that Matt Wade's back in. You know, obviously he's in for the verbals. We know that. But sure. I would just love him to get out there and just say, like, nice Gary, just 68 times just to get yeah. Nathan Lyon in the mood. So okay. That's what we all want to hear, I think. Oh, I don't want to hear it from Alex Carey. Mm. I want to hear it from... What does Alex Carey's voice sound like? I don't know, man. It'd be like when a cover band plays a hit. Like, I don't want to hear fucking Alex Carey do nice Gary. Hmm. Tell you what, what a fucking player we've got there with Alex Carey. I mean, he is. I mean, he's a guy who should be batting above the moving up with the order. I mean, just to yeah, segue into that. Why I not? Mean, yeah, as as someone said before, teeth based selection. One of the first teeth based selection in the history of cricket. Just uh, he is an incredible touch, and I I don't think this is a flash in the pan either. I mean, he's a, at the top of his game. I think he just looks so competent, like compact, cover drives better than anyone's probably since Mike Hussey's left hander from Australia. Big mm-hmm. call. I'm saying it. Um, gloves them pretty well. <laughs> don't resile. No result. I like it. Congratulate yourself for a big call. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got balls to say it. I've said it. I'm not going to apologise for it. Nobody asked you. Uh, the, the last the last two minutes of this podcast basically explained how sandpaper happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, just on, just on Kerry. He's he's excellent uh, as as usual. We think that because he wears gloves, then he can't be considered as a as a top six batsman or whatnot. But no. the guy should bat wherever he wants. Uh, in, the, in the Australian side, I think you know, four. He'd he'd be fine. Four, five, or six. He's so clean and neat, isn't he? Clean, well, we've got man. an abundance of clean, neat keepers. Yeah. Um, Tim Payne, obviously, both mm. facially and with the gloves. But mm. fucking Alex Carey and the teeth as well, as you said, everything's immaculate. Oh, he's so tidy, isn't he? Tidy. Mm. Tidiness mm. is important. Yeah. Is that way tidy enough? Not sure. We should say for the for the audience out there, we've um, put in uh, numerous ambitious requests for um, people to appear on this podcast, including Alex Carey, uh, and also one for Johnny Besto as well. Uh, it was um, it was rebuffed uh, and politely so. However, a slither of uh, hope was given from the ECB management that he may be made available at some point for the Great Cricketer podcast. Uh, not during the tournament, though, they said, and that sounds wise enough to me. <laughs> One person we have got on this podcast is Chris Lynn, who'll be joining us in a moment's time. But first, hopefully, fingers crossed, Dan Norcross from TMS. The Grade Cricketer is bringing their live show to the UK for the Ashes. Join Pez, Dave and Higos as they explore the A to Z of cricket. From club to country, from champ to chop king. With shows in Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester and London, the Grade Cricketer Live promises to tackle cricket's deeper questions like, why do we inflict this game on ourselves? What does work hard really mean? Will a tight chest and enormous pipes push me up a grade? And why is my father's approval so pivotal to my happiness? With special guests in each city, the shows will provide the perfect tonic to England's impending World Cup win and Ashes triumph. Head to thegradecricketalive.co.uk for details. 
NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Okay, we've been trying to get this bloke on the podcast, the entire World Cup series, but he's very much a man in demand. I'm talking about BBC TMS commentator Dan Norcross, uh, 37 times more clever than any of us, um, just forewarning uh, like that. He also opened our um, our book launch at the mm. Oval as well, which is very kind of him to do so. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I've been missing you. I've missed you so much this summer. Come, come over. You are doing so, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, we're doing something over there. Uh, I feel like you say that to everybody. Dan, you're, uh, you're currently <laughs> in Canterbury commentating for the BBC. Uh, Australia, as we go to air uh, tonight here in Australia, um, are doing quite well against the England women. Uh, can you tell us what's going on? Uh, yeah, Australia are thrashing England bowlers to all parts. Um, England have been slightly umpire-assisted by a terrible LBW decision against Nicole Bolton. Uh, but having decided to bowl first on a pitch that yielded 1,100 runs for the loss of 14 wickets in a counter championship game, I think Heather Knight is starting to question the wisdom of that decision, as Alyssa Healy and Meg Lanning are on the rampage. Um, it, it's pretty disastrous for the women's ashes, really, because if Australia win this, they'll go points to nil up mm. and uh, then all they need to do is draw the test I think and then and then retain the ashes at the earliest possible opportunity that normally happens at Perth <laughs> not at Perth <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and just we've been talking a little bit about the men uh, obviously this big match coming up on Thursday let's forget the Tuesday match altogether um, in Antipodean style but um, uh, why should Australians fear England Dan uh, if at all Oh, well, I mean, uh, because of the master race? I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm not sure. I mean, I I think think the the reasons are that um, I'm very very un-English style over the last four years. I was an Irish captain. We've discovered that if you bludgeon the ball to all parts and score runs very quickly in limited over cricket, this is quite a good theory for how to win games of cricket. And I think for Australia, what will be slightly concerning is that you've got to play that game at Edgebaston and it'll be on a new pitch and Edgebaston yields a lot of runs and an awful lot of quite strong, drunken English support. Uh, and I think you'd probably be better off playing England at Lords because we tend to crumble at Lords under the weight of expectations of beards and bacon and egg jackets <laughs> and all the sort of nonsense that goes with the home of cricket. So... Um, I give England a better, a better, just better than even chance. I think a lot's going to depend on the toss, isn't it? Because this World Cup's been berserk. We expected pitches to hold up and people score 400, but actually, the games at Birmingham that played twice there on Sunday and Tuesday, the uh, Quick Viz Speed Index. I have no idea how to calculate it, but we just have to go with it. Uh, started at eight and ended at 3.5 in the course of a day. So batting first for England would be, you know, that's what they'd be after. They want the ball coming on the bat and then they'll want to smash it around to all parts. Roy and Best are going to be key for them. Um, conversely, in Australia win the toss, you know, they've got Finch and Warner. It's kind of shootout between the two best opening pairings in the 
in a competition, isn't it? Mm. Dan, uh, speak for the entire uh, English population, English cricketing population anyway, and uh, do you think that England would have preferred to have played Australia in the semi-final or would you have preferred to have played India, the team you just smashed what, three or four days ago? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. I think actually um, England wanted to play Australia because they thought playing Australia at Edgebaston gave them a better chance against Stark and Cummins and Co than playing Australia at Lords. So, I mean, I don't think they'd have been... They were expecting to play India, and, you know, they've got a muscle memory of beating them there. Mm. But um, I think the problem is, you know, for once, English fans are thinking about winning something. And, you know, normally we go into these things thinking, well, it's very nice to be invited, make up the numbers, <laughs> you know, appear in a couple of photos, um, and then make our tawdry, miserable way off with our tails very slowly between our legs. But there's a sort of... Um, it's a genuine belief that England could win, and so to do that, they kind of people are actually speculating and plotting the route. Uh, for them, that that sort of ideal route is get Australia at Birmingham, get India at Lords, because you fancy you've got a better chance against each of those teams at those two venues. Mm. Dan, I've I've actually heard that if England make the final, it may, and perhaps it has been confirmed that it will be broadcast on free-to-air television uh, in England. So is it fair to say that you know England needs to win this to save cricket in England? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think absolutely that is. I mean, I don't think you're overstating it at all. Um, <laughs> we, we we opened the program the other day when when England played against India at Edgebaston, and you know, knowing that they really had to win that game or else they were in big mm-hmm. trouble. We opened the show with saying this is the most important one day international England played in 27 years, and the whole history, the whole future of the game rests on the next seven hours, which was terrific hyperbole. Um, and I think, in a strange kind of way, it was slightly justified. Only thing is, I don't know what people think is going to happen by putting one game on free to air television. Because <laughs> if people aren't that interested in cricket, I think, oh, oh was, was the final on? Damn, I missed it. Oh, I used to yeah. be quite interested in cricket. Um, yeah. so I, I don't actually see that making an enormous difference as somebody <laughs> talks very loudly downstairs. I'm sorry, I'm trying to move to a quieter spot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's putting an awful lot of faith in suddenly people who think they might like cricket, hearing about it, finding what channel it's on, watching it, and then getting enthused. Um, and they'll probably stop halfway through for the news or something, or go to horse racing at Ascot for 20 minutes. So, you know. <laughs> um, it's, it's, well, it's that's where in, a, in Australia, the... Yeah, the TV series MASH was on for 40 years consecutively. I just think they forgot to take it off the um, mm. off the programming. But it survived because it was on, and maybe cricket just needs to be on to survive. That's all you need. Oh, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's actually scandalous. Jim Maxwell's talked about it, and he's absolutely right. Um, I think the figures are that the last Ashes test of 2005 at the Oval was on free-to-air television. It was watched by 10 million people. And in the intervening 14 years, no single day's cricket has yielded one million viewers. I mean, you know, that is just a staggering drop-off, isn't it? It's falling off a cliff. So um, English cricket has been massively disbenefited by its, its lack of visibility. But then the cricketers themselves are an awful lot richer. So I don't know. It kind of depends who you talk to. If you talk to Ben Stokes, he'll probably say, well, you know, it's paid for a few houses. Mm. <laughs> if, you talk to, if you talk to people who have kids who love cricket but, you know, don't get to see it because their children are not remotely interested and have no visibility of it, then perhaps not take it. Mm. 
Just finally, Dan, conscious of your time, uh, we noticed that the Australians have already started coming out uh, and saying that this is England's match and England's tournament to lose. Obviously, Australia are um, strategically placing or actually chaining Ricky Ponting to balconies uh, in order to gain some kind of edge <laughs> via aura That's right. uh, and intangibility and just kind of birthright of winning. Is, is this act wearing thin? Do you think that will have anything to do with the match on Thursday or do you think England are, are ready to kind of... Uh, um, kill all of that kind of psychological uh, sort of difficulty, uh, for want of a better term. Uh, do, do you think they're ready to win, or do you think Ponting's balcony act uh, is going to kill you again? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, what, 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 what English commentators tend to do is uh, we go past Ricky Ponting and just touch the scar on his cheek. That's uh, the memory of Steve Harmison. It's like sort of it's like pressing, like, like putting your hand on a, on a, on a crucifix, you know. Uh, so we get. To that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I, and I would say that you know, as psychological tricks go, to be really good psychological trick, you've got to do something that's really not blatantly obvious. Um, <laughs> and this is blatantly obvious. Mm. So no one's taking it remotely seriously. Mm. I imagine, you know, England will say, well, we love being favourites. It's great it's because we're better. So they'll just, they'll just turn it on its head. Mm. Well, are they ready to win? Look, the last two games were must-win matches, weren't they? And their opening pairing scored 160-odd and 120-odd. So they didn't look nervous at all. They held the catches. They fielded brilliantly. Um if they could do it in those two, it's no different in this knockout. But the thing about 50-over cricket, and especially this World Cup, is that so much um, hinges, it feels like, on the toss and the deterioration of the pitch. So, mm. you know, um, to me, it's a 50-50 game. Uh, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for it. I'm commentating it for SEN. So I've got my speech ready, if England win. Which will go something along the lines of Kylie Minogue, Bounce the Dog... <laughs> Jason Donovan, Norman <laughs> Gunston, Dame Edna Everidge, Queen Elizabeth II. Can you hear me, Queen Elizabeth II? Your guys took one hand of a beating. Um, <laughs> and if I get the chance to do that on Australian radio, that will make my life. <laughs> it will, and I love that no reference to Australia exceeded 1980. I was going to say. We were a great character back then as it was. Dan Norcross, thanks so much for joining us here on the BBC TMS. Uh, we'll catch you when we're over in the UK, no doubt. Brilliant. Thanks, Chaps. Really looking forward to it. It's Queensgrove Sports' massive birthday sale. All brands reduced to clear. Kookaburra, Grey Nichols, New Balance, GM and more. Everything's priced to make you think it's actually worth it. Needn't you stick to kid yourself that you'll actually average above 11 this season? Don't waste your money on actual therapy. Try retail therapy instead. We've got last year's stock with this year's stickers. And double the price. We've got the brands of yesteryear too. Remember MRF? Brian Lara used one. So that must mean you're good enough to use it too. Flintoff and KP used a woodworm. I'm pretty sure they went into receivership, so we're basically giving them away. Remember when Albion sponsored Chris Martin, the worst batsman of all time? I have no idea how these bizarre alien pads didn't sell out. We've got them! What about those weird Indian brands that look like railway sleepers, weigh the same and have absolutely no middle? We've got you covered. We even sell bats with no stickers on them, so it looks like you're trying to get sponsored, even though you're in fifth grade. So rush into Queen's Grove Sports today and make this season your last.
Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. We've been seeking this next guest for quite a while Dave and here goes. We've had a lot of requests for him as well. Uh, he's the king of levers in Australia, I would say. He's a, cl- he's a king of clean hitting. Uh, mm. I'm talking about Chris Lynn, who's going to give us the lowdown on what we can expect in the World Cup and just what it means to hit clean. Uh, Chris, welcome to The Great Cricketer. G'day, lads. Uh, pleasure to be on. We always start at the bottom, uh, at the very bottom of the pile. Chris, what does grade cricket mean to you? Uh, well, I think, obviously, that's obviously where you start your, your journey and your career, and <laughs> Uh, I played my first uh, first grade game when I was 16, and um, uh, you know I think I could have played when I was 15 a little bit earlier. But I actually played um, school cricket in the first 11 uh, because uh, I wanted to play with my mates, and I knew I was only going to get one year of, of playing cricket with some of my best mates from school. So I knew I had all the time in the world to play uh, club or grade cricket. So, um, but it's it's. You know, it's where I began my journey, and, and I think you know, it's I get back to Toowoomba Cricket Club uh, as much as I can, and it's somewhere where I can go to training, not have to uh, stress out. Or um, <laughs> for me, it's a, it's a place where I can just go down, and um, you know, whether it's having a beer, whether it's, you know, it's training, just go down and just be yourself, and uh, you know, the, the blokes love you for that. Chris, you're up. So, so what you've just said there is you. You're assen- you essentially delayed your first grade debut until you were 16, uh, <laughs> deliberately. Um, do, do you have any recollections of the, of the sort of men you uh, were hanging around first grade uh, when you were playing at age 16? Can you sort of describe the scene of a dressing room then and maybe compare it to now? <laughs> uh, it's quite loose. Uh, you know, not, not being old enough to go to the bar and uh, trying to sneak in joints when you're 16, 17. Um, kind of frowned upon but it was it was a hell of a fun it was fun doing it um <laughs> no it's just uh that's where you just learn the ropes so, you know i've never i've never had a never had a um if i had a shower and had my clothes on or jocks on you get torn a new one so um you know you, you, you learn and you, you mature very quickly around the older blokes and i think that's why you you do get a head start um you know you're head of the game uh when you're when you're playing first grade or even just club cricket at a young age uh, against men, I found that was a huge mm. difference, mm. and that was the biggest thing. Obviously, playing from first eleven at Nudgee College to to Toowoomba Cricket Club. Mm. Did uh, the first eleven experience? I mean, I assume the shower etiquette for fifteen-year-old privately educated. I'm not sure where you went to school, but uh, the first eleven seemed to be a lot different to the shower politics in um in grade cricket at sixteen. <laughs> yeah, well, you never. Um, well, you don't, they didn't really have change rooms at, at the school. So well, there's teachers in the rooms so, while you were sharing? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Aggressive start. Uh, I'll Chris, leave that one. <laughs> yeah, 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 probably wisely. So, Chris, uh, my, my old club, Gordon, I remember went up to Brisbane a number of years ago and played in the pre-season tour up there, and they played against your Toowoomba side. And yep. I remember them coming back from yep. that trip, and they're all talking about this guy, Chris Lynn, who absolutely bombed them everywhere, and they chased down whatever their meagre, their meagre total was and then was just yep. crushing rums in the pavilion after the game. Now, I'm sure this doesn't fit into your international athlete slash presenter image now, but what's your favourite kind of rum? And don't you think smashing Bundaberg OP at 4.30 in the afternoon is a bit aggressive? 
<laughs> it, um, I do remember that trip actually. Um, the boys really got involved in obviously on the field but off the field activities, and um, I, I'm a big fan of having been to the Caribbean Premier League the last couple of years. A big fan of uh, an El Dorado rum. Oh yeah, nice. Uh, or, or, or a spice rum if you want something a bit lighter. Mm. But um, I think that's why I played the game and like fell in love with the game and enjoying. Obviously, you're not going to have your own success. You might have you might have ten good days days in the in the year. So how can you expect to enjoy the game so much? And mm-hmm. that's something that I really like doing is enjoying my teammates' success. Um, and that's why, why yeah, as I said fell in love with the game because you you, you go out there. Obviously, you, you, you try try your ring out um, on the field, but mm. um, away from that, you've got to as I said enjoy each other's success and and you know really. Uh, embrace a win and learn from losses. Yeah. Well, while we're on that, Chris, what just incidentally, like, what is the best T Twenty league for circuiting? Mm. You know, just for post matches, no. Got to be the Caribbean. Obviously, we've got the CPL there. There's the IPL. I wouldn't be ruling it out. Mm. Uh, there's there's pack. You've played at Lahore, mm. uh, Edmonton Royals. Mm. So yeah, Canadian Canada as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the, what's the best for um for circuiting? Mm. Well, I obviously like playing home games, so the Big Bash is, is um, mm. it's not bad, it's not bad, and you get a few royalties, obviously, um, <laughs> being the skipper of the side. Um, the Caribbean, I'll never say no. Um, I love the fact that I like the dress codes over there, mm. um, in shorts, shorts, some, some thongs, and a singlet, yeah. and, you, and you're drinking on a beach in Barbados. <laughs> Um, <laughs> India's changed a little bit. Like over the ten years of the IPL, it used to be party central. Now it's uh, actually the opposite. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, because P twenty is not P twenty is not your hit and giggle anymore. It's something so serious. Mm. Uh, and then I'm heading to Canada in two weeks, and mm. then then the Euro League. So that's something that um, uh, well prepared. Anyway, I've had six <laughs> weeks off, so prepared to take oh. down the, the nightlife. Sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, let's just take it back to our little tournament in Australia. So during a game in the Big Bash, uh, Wikipedia, I actually remember it happening, but I read it on Wikipedia, it refreshed my memory, that you hit a ball from Sean Tate onto the roof of the Gabba. Um, obviously, yeah. you know, Sean Tate, friend of the show, the fastest bowler ever being hit by the biggest hitter for six. When the TV cameras pan to your face post-shot, how tempting was it to mumble? I didn't even get it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when I um, I actually thought I hit it straight up because obviously he's called the wild thing, so mm. Katie doesn't know where the ball's going. So how, how am I supposed to know where it's going? So <laughs> I just thought I got this, I got this big chunk of wood in my hand before the bat restrictions. And I thought, mm. you know, well, I'm going to try and jump on the front foot, um, win win the early battle of me over, and um, actually thought I hit it too high. Um, and then obviously batting with Brendan McCullum at the other end. Yeah, he, he gave me absolute nothing. I was like, "Well, geez, I thought it was pretty good, man." <laughs> so give me something. Um, yeah, but uh, obviously that's what the big bash is all about—is entertainment. So um, I get an absolute kick out of um, sending the ball into the crowd. Hey, do you reckon the, um, the the big bash has changed the way, especially club cricketers, see you know a, a, an avenue for representative cricket? Um, I mean, was it ever something that you actively thought about at the beginning of your rep career, or was it just sort of something that you were just always good at and just sort of came around at the right time? Yeah, absolutely. I just think the way T20 has, um, you know, developed over the last couple of years and the opportunities around the world are, you know, are endless. There's, I don't know how many tournaments, there's probably 10 T20 tournaments now. And, 
anyway, like, if I'm a punter that, you know, if they just say you're not getting paid or whatever, there's no mm. way I'm giving up my Saturday and Sunday on the weekend after a week of work. Mm. Um, it just makes sense that 2020 is, um, is a great avenue for those guys that, mm. um, you know, well, they're, they're going to work, yeah. So they're going to mm. put food on the table, provide for their, their wife and their family. or yeah. um, So it, it's, everyone's just so time poor. And, you, you know, I know where I'd rather be, um, you know, in 30-degree heat rather than fielding for two days on a Saturday, Sunday. Mm. Um, like you can get the game done and dusted in a couple of hours. You know, there's, exact, uh, there's actually going to be a result. Um, yeah. Mm. Just um, picking up on the World Cup, Chris. Uh, I mean, you were very much in the in the mix with the international squad mm. uh, 12, 18 months ago. You know, particularly given how you know the fact that our quicks are trying to injure everybody in the nets, and now the remaining middle order batsmen mm. seem to be getting injured as well. I mean, how do you reflect upon? Um, you know your your time in the international sphere. Um, are there any regrets about not being there at the World Cup at the moment? And uh, and who do you think should step into that slot now? That there's been a couple of injuries. Yeah, um, absolutely no regrets. Um, I've always been a fan of the Australian cricket team, and then I was lucky enough to be involved in the Australian cricket team. And now I'm outside the squad. I'll always be a fan of the Australian cricket team. Um, I've still got aspirations to play the next. Um, the T20 World Cup back in Australia next year, so that's a that's a that's a goal of mine. But um, I think you're looking at the team now. I think you know we've got that depth. I'm not I'm not saying our team's as good as the well the heyday team when you had um, Langer Hayden, Ponning, McGrath, Lee, um, Gilchrist, those guys. But I think I can see uh, the depth building to to similar to that era. Um, so that's something really. Um, you know, it's a good problem to have, and, and good players are going to miss out. Petey Hanscoms was—he was unlucky not to make the squad, but he's, I think he's been called into the squad now. And then you got Matthew Wade, who hasn't missed time to ball for nearly two years, uh, just getting <laughs> possibly an opportunity. So it's they're good problems to have. And as I said, the only thing about this World Cup is that you lose a fair bit of sleep. It's quite hard to watch it uh, with the time difference. Mm. Do you have a view on the on the the Wade v Hanscom question at the moment? I know you just mentioned that they're probably both your mates, but you know you you just mentioned that Wade hasn't missed time to ball for two years. That's probably a pretty good thing to take into a semi final, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen him smacking them for Australia, right? and yes, it is a, a different um, different beast, the World Cup. But um, as I said, it's just a good problem to have, and um, you know, unfortunately. Sean Marsh is, you know, he's he's banging the house down with plenty of runs as well, where they haven't been uh, winning runs, I suppose, in those matches. So, I mean, I, I keep saying it all the time: the, the two blokes, you know, the most important bloke in that setup at the moment is Ricky Ponting, because I think he he brings a nice calmness to Justin Langer. Uh, we know he's a fiery character, and instead of having the, um, you know, the squad. You know, it's, it's it's a perfect match for Finchie and, and JL to come together. Um, I think um, Ricky is, is providing that. Oh, we've got Steve Waugh coming in for the for the Ashes as well, don't we? Mm. Mm. Is that Langer's strategy? Yeah, I read something in? like that. But mm. I read yeah. something like that. But it, um, yeah, it's, it's a long tournament. I guess just getting new faces in with a bit more energy is is you know crucial because some of those guys have gone straight from the IPL straight into the Australian camp. Uh, World Cup and then Ashes, that's a long time and people actually underestimate the time away from home that the toller takes on you. Hmm. 
There's been a lot of um, lot of talk, especially from the English sort of media, Chris, about like tournament play and how Australia have mastered tournament play, and it's so different to bi- the bilateral series. I mean, is that is is it really that different, like playing in a tournament tournament compared to like you know a five match ODI series? Uh, I think so. I think this, um, the fact that we're very consistent in our own uh, in our preparation, in our training, in our games, gives us the best opportunity to, to perform during the longer tournaments. Yeah. You look at teams like, uh, I believe the West Indies struggle in the longer tournaments because of the inconsistency of, it might be their training or attitude. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're better off in shorter tournaments where they can turn up, grab momentum, just go bang, bang, bang. Whereas Australia's got that, that discipline to, to play the game longer and, and, and hold your discipline for a longer period of time. Mm. Yeah, right. Chris, it was um, it was well known that it was Queensland that swung the federal election for the coalition. Um, what was it about Clive Palmer's policy platform that ultimately swayed you to preference the Palmer United Party at the ballot box? I assume it was the high-speed trains. <laughs> well, no, but I ticked a lot of boxes that day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in my lane and have absolutely no comment about that. <laughs> well, uh, I, just, I mean, I'm just picking up that you played at Toomble as well. That's Matt Renshaw's club, Chris. Um, yeah. You know, how, how does he get around the boys? Can you just give us an insight into sort of yeah. Renshaw's position in the kind of alpha hierarchy? Of Turnbull, I know there's been some question marks over how he actually goes about it, but the guy sort of opens the batting, fields first slip for Australia when he wants to. What's he like around Turnbull when he's not making sort of 340? <laughs> he's an absolute pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he gets, he's just so annoying. And I've actually had to you know, punch him a couple of times just to, <laughs> to shut him up. But, I mean, he, um, yeah. you, want, you want him just to keep batting, 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 so you don't have to deal with his shit on the sideline. <laughs> but um, but I, I, I think he's, what he's done is he's very consistent. So, you know, I can, there's nothing worse than having a bloke that's inconsistent that um, you don't know how to approach, whereas you know exactly how to approach Matty Renshaw every time. Um, if you're consist- consistently a dickhead, I can put up with you. But if you're inconsistent, then we've got some. <laughs> we've got some, some trouble. <laughs> it's an interesting viewpoint. Yeah. So we can take away that Matt Renshaw is consistently a dickhead, and you've punched him. That's going to be the headline tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's but definitely good. Oh, punch yeah. Bat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good good that stick though. Well. <laughs> well, I don't reckon I could. <laughs> I've seen bits of red floating ocean hardly on my shoulders. <laughs> well, just on that, you and Brendan McCullen have been nicknamed the Bash Brothers. Uh, you probably know this, but the yeah. original Bash Brothers, of course, the Oakland A sluggers Jose Canseco and Mark Maguire back in the 80s, both of whom later yep. admitted to using anabolic steroids. Should we sim- be similarly concerned about you and Brendan having juiced in order to pump maximums in the BBL and, and smash well, Matt Renshaw, allegedly? <laughs> If they make beer illegal, I reckon I'm cooked. But um, <laughs> no, that, that's that's our that's our theory. We've got we've got a little um, uh, a little checklist, and it's um, you know obviously trying to hit sixes, having a beer, and having a punt. So <laughs> keep the game very simple. Uh, yeah, that's the way we work. We've just we've got a mutual um, you know interest that, that we like to do away from the game and. Um, yeah, as, we, as we've got that no dickhead policy that obviously stands. I know we're trying to get... Maxie Bryan is pushing very hard to get in there, but he might get his opportunity now. Baz is giving the big bash away. So, uh, yeah, watch your space. Mm. Awesome. Well, on that note, um, Chris, thank you very much for 
joining us on the grade cricketer great to get your insights uh you know from all levels uh it's always the aim uh and thanks for enduring our questions um that again come from all levels um good and bad yeah absolutely pleasure guys it's always good fun uh reading the tweets uh over the weekend from you lads so i look forward <laughs> to keep reading cheers mate cheers Football's back, and Whole Foods Market is everything you need for a delicious tailgater watch party. Level up your game day hosting with marinated chicken wings, chicken sausages, hot dogs, and more. Headed to a friend's house? On the way, grab crowd-pleasing snacks from Whole Foods Market, like late-July tortilla chips and Primal Kitchen queso dip. And don't forget the beer. Very important. Just check out that local selection. Elevate game day with Whole Foods Market. Must be 21 plus. Please drink responsibly. Hashtag AskTGC. Ladies and gentlemen out there, we very much appreciate the dozens and dozens and dozens of questions and the three or four good ones that come in each week as well. Um, it would go without saying at this time that we are promoting our live tour in the UK. Sydney and Melbourne have been sold out, so don't even bother. Someone wrote in the other day asking for more tickets. There are no more tickets for Sydney and Melbourne. They are completely sold out. Thank you very much to everyone who's bought those tickets. Uh, we're very much looking forward to seeing you at the end of this month, the end of July, 25th in, uh, in Melbourne and 31st in Sydney before we head over to the UK. Now, there's only four shows left with tickets. There's London on the 12th. That still has about 50 tickets left, so you're going to need to get in real quick because they will definitely go. That would be another sold-out show. We've got Birmingham, Leeds, and Manchester. Those are your big chances to get tickets. Tickets are available at greatcricketer.club for all of your ticketing needs. We got together earlier this week too, didn't That's we? True, to, to write That's bits. That's true. Yeah, we've we've written bits, and I think it's actually going to be a good show. You know, mm. I was sceptical for a while. New things in these shows. If it's you've seen s- us at other shows, these are new shows. Mm. That's correct. This this is a new thing. This is a new uh, new new bit we're doing, and it's going to be good. I feel really confident uh, that we're going to put on a fantastic show for those lovely people out there who are going to come along. Dave's still so, doing um, roaming Mark though for us. That's TGC. true. That's, that's something we can relieve, uh, reveal, yes. and relieve. Yes, Dave, <laughs> not relieve. <laughs> Reveal. Are gonna, people are going to be relieved when mm. I know that, that Dave is going to be out there in the crowd on stage. Mm. Uh, well, he's going to go from stage into the crowd mm. to our More uh, ask questions. Crowd surfing. I'm just going to be crowd surfing. Mm. And crowd sourcing. Um, okay, so, so Birmingham is actually day four of the Birmingham Test Match, uh, mm. which is huge. Uh, and then Leeds and Manchester. By the way, Tim Bresnan is, be- is, is our guest for both Leeds and Manchester. We announced that last week. But Tim Bresnan is confirmed for both of those events. That's going to be absolutely awesome. Cannot wait for it. Okay. GreatCricketer.club for all your tickets. Please do come along because it's an awesome night out. James Knight writes in. He says, consider your DM slid into. Hashtag AskTGC. Thinking back over the discussions and themes you fellas have raised over the past few years, it occurs to me that we have identified at least some of the attractions of amateur shipload cricket, a sense of identity, a sense of purpose, a belonging. All of these have been identified by prominent psychological theorist Kipling D. Williams as basic needs for, for humans' general well-being. After another suitably dour club season in England, my 15th in adult cricket, I got thinking about another driver to play shipload cricket endlessly, the desire to leave a legacy. From street graffiti to carving a name under the school desk to politicians launching macro social policy initiatives, the desire to leave a legacy is both innate and irrepressible. Thinking about the legacies in my club, they are all based around Alfredham, the fellow who opened the batting and without fail tried to hit the first ball for six of each innings for six overs for six over the bowler's head, no matter where it pitched, the fellow who drank a yard of ale in four seconds, the fellow who chopped under the covers, the mm. fellow who fielded a whole match under the lid at short leg so we could tell the batsman that he was a... I can't finish that, just sledge the batsman. At this point, I would like to draw parallels to contemporary political narratives. It seems as a sport we are at a crossroads akin to that which faced many countries in the Easter block 
post World War Two. So come to <laughs> I think, you, I think you means Eastern. <laughs> Sorry, Eastern Bloc. There are many typos in this. I'm going to Eastern Bloc. Yeah. It's countries in the Eastern Bloc post World War II succumb to USR domination and enjoy the economic stability that brings, or forge out a loan for individual prosperity in spite, uh, in spite of the risks of economic collapse. Obviously, this desire to behave as disgusting human is symptomatic of the post industrial world in which we live, where a growing underclass feel left behind and disenfranchised. And with the rise of Trump politics across the Western world, the ship like culture is clearly here to stay. My question is this. As three blokes who pretend they have moved on from club cricket despite yearning for a taste of its magic again, what legacies have you left behind and how would you change them if you could? You're good on legacies, Dave. <laughs> legacies. Well, firstly, it's good to note that this he's been bringing in psychological theory and, and basic needs. He's obviously been watching a highly acclaimed Channel 7 show last year where we had the segment... Uh, TGC's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. um, Legacies oh, my, I've got no legacy in grey cricket Because most of my data was lost During the migration mm. um, Onto the, the great migration platform yeah. uh, Many of us succumb to that That data failure I think Pez you might, you might have lost some data there as well So mm. my legacy is, is certainly not In fine print on the internet mm. uh, And what is there of it is is horrible And I'm ashamed of it So all I can really look at is what I did off the field, and again, not much. I I, I don't really have any legacy whatsoever. Um, well, I mean, you but the, you know, they say stories are data with a soul, though, don't they, Dave? I mean, like you well, have a good they you have a good so. oral history. You know, we went to a, a gig uh, at you know for the Gordon Cricket Club a few weeks ago, uh, and and, a, yeah. and some old bloke came up to you and, and told you that that Brian Booth thought you played a magnificent innings when you were sixteen or something which you then repeated on stage, as you would, um, <laughs> if you were told that. Um, and, and, that you and, know, then I, and then I said that I'd never heard of Brian Booth, so I outfitted a former test cricketer who said that my under-16 innings was the best junior knock he'd ever seen. <laughs> I think you've um, embellished that now. Never but, heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's legacy, you know. That's just uh, stories. Yeah, I've, what I've, about I've, your stories? I mean, you blokes have you played a bit more cricket than I did at grade level, so you know, give us some of that data-driven narrative. No, nah, man, no, I didn't get. No, I got none of that Brian Booth cheddar, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like C, I'm like CIA spy, you know. Like you don't right. even know my name in the Great Migration. I'm just a star. Well, uh, Vigo still gets invited back to the Gordon uh, Club events every year to be the special guest speaker. So he's he's one of their. You know, or one of their the sons that they're most proud of. I mean, I've have I have different. Le- I mean, I I was seeking many different identities during my playing days. You know, like rig base selection, chop king. You know, I've I've mm-hmm. I've right. portrayed myself in many different uh, guises over over the years. But surely, like the answer is that this is literally the legacy that we are leaving for grey cricket. Like we are literally doing this. This is, it. This is the thing. Yeah, not, I think not this in the cricketing is the sense thing. because we we are like we just did everything that. Everyone else has already done. There, are, there, are, there were thousands of people mm. who did exactly the same thing that we did. So, the great cricketer is our legacy. Yes, yes. Which I don't is know. That's the answer. I, I, I yeah. once um, like got a call from my dad when I was like a fourth grader, uh, just in preseason, saying oh, I've just had a call from the club secretary, and you're, you're playing in the first grade trial tomorrow. And he told me what a great preseason you had, and I believed it. Um, <laughs> like my dad wasn't stitching me up, and. Um, and, and how, the, the, wait, how old? How old were you? I, I would have been like seventeen, and so oh, okay. uh, yeah. I thought you were an adult, but your dad was still fielding the call. That yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grade. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, so, so I was pretty excited. I had to leave my mate's place at the time. Said, look, yeah, I've been given the call up about, you know, finally. Went and played this first so grade trial against Penrith. Um, nobody said anything to me. It was Balmain versus mm-hmm. Penrith. <laughs> Greg May was captain. Got a bowl. We bought him out for 110. I got two for 20. Um, and just thought, and we had our grading night that night. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is brilliant. Uh, you know, I, I knew that I had potential and we went back to the grading night, rocked up to my, you know, third and fourth grade mates said, oh, I'm going to sit somewhere else tonight, boys. Um, and, um, see where this is going. And, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so see you later, boys. I'm going, you know, I'm going up the grades and, um, they read out fourth grade. There was my name. And, um, and Greg, <laughs> Greg Haynes said, oh, we picked. We accidentally um, called the wrong Sam. <laughs> we meant to call Sam Hinton, and I still remember the look on my mate um, Bawley's face. He's he was red faced, rolling around on the ground at Dremoyne's that, uh, clubhouse, that's laughing. It, isn't it? And um, like. yeah, he's like, "Oh, Sammy bowled the house down today, no doubt about it." But uh, yeah, got picked in fourth grade. Left the club a year later. Well, that's just... the same thing that's happened with Mitchell, uh, with, with like Mitchell Marsh. Like this, <laughs> they were originally trying to pick a different Mitch. Yeah. Like, I think it's the same thing happened with Mitch Pierce as well. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely a theme here. Mm. Yeah, anyway, I think my club remembers me for that. All right, Tom Palmer. Let's move on to the next question. Uh, Tom Palmer. Uh, lads, I'll get straight to it. I thought I could do the best of both worlds this year by playing some lower team stuff every other week or so and saving some weekends to spend with the missus or see the boys with a few beers in the sun. Unfortunately, if I'm not playing, I feel like I'm missing out. And when I play, I wish I was anywhere else in the fucking world. Clearly, there's no middle ground. So my question is twofold. One, how do you quit? Two, if you could deep dive the benefits of quitting, I think that would solve so many problems for so many mentally scarred, troubled listeners. We are all in this together, boys. Get round us. Hashtag Ask TJC. Mm. I mean, it's the eternal yeah. question, really. How do you quit and why would you quit? It's actually an interesting one because like, one of my best mates is engaged um, and uh, his engagement party isn't until December. He's decided to, to put it in December, uh, which is obviously Christmas party season. It's on a Saturday and um, some of my other best mates still play cricket. And I've been speaking to them the last week or so, and they're just like, oh, I, I can't believe he's put it on a Saturday in summer. And I was thinking, like, <laughs> the like hide in yeah, him. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but, like, what's more shocking is that, like, you don't realise that there's an entire world out there where people do things on Saturday which isn't fucking field at mid-off. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, there's so got like... A bl- bl- he, now that he doesn't play cricket, he has to factor in that his mates play cricket like for four months out of every year, so that what that that's that's a third of all the Saturdays in a year mm. that you have to you know avoid setting any kind of social situations that they would be invited to. Yeah, that's a, that's a big fucking burden. Yeah, is there was a funny one, especially in the Australian summer, where like finals slip into like the football season. Then there's like a four week the finals go for what three weekends, four weekends, and it's always mm. like a time where like. You always ask, like, oh, when is cricket season finishing? Like, well, round 15 is, you know, March. But if we make finals and it's like, just, just enough's enough. Yeah. You know, just, just, I mean, how you do it, I, I don't think you can just, like, filter off. You just go cold turkey and you can, you can really get on with your life really quickly. Like, it's not like a heroin addiction mm. where, you know, it takes like a year and you know, be shaking and sweating it out. Like, you you know, you have to be locked in a cupboard. You literally just, like, go for breakfast one day. You organise a breakfast with your friends and you just... The world immediately gets brighter, brunch. yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not it's, like that for everybody, though. I don't speak from experience, but because we all know the person that is just really big on quitting and all of a sudden they're down there watching that first match, you know, mm-hmm. 
they're looking good, they're looking fresher, but there's something's missing, you know, their legs shaking a little bit, and all of a sudden they turn up at training a couple of weeks later as well, and they can't quite get out. Yeah, those guys really need to go cold turkey, like they need to, yeah, delete all their contacts or just throw yeah, their phone away. They need to leave the address, state, leave the country. Yeah, and uh, the, just in terms of the benefits of quitting, I mean, just think about the, the Friday evening anxiety. Think about the judgment on the day yeah. of play. Think about your, your teammates mm. literally ranking your girlfriend out of 10 yeah. when she arrives. Think about it's how the fact she, she doesn't want to come. Yeah. Think about that. You might not have a girlfriend. You might have you know a partner of a different sex who isn't welcome at all. Well, that's the thing about like, like dating when you're a cricketer. Like a lot of people that you you meet at cricket, they, they either meet their wives before cricket or after cricket. There are very few blokes who are getting into relationships while mm. being grade cricketers and, yes. and sustainable relationships that last, yeah. you know, ones with meaning. So maybe mm. that's something that, you know, is an incentive for quitting is that you might actually go out there, hang out with some non-cricket people, meet a woman and, you know, commence the rest of your life. I think because everyone's now just trying to pursue the triple C. Which I can't, I can't help but feel that we have, we've, oh, um, that, we've yeah. only hindered people. We, we literally, Tigo's just got a DM <laughs> from um, a Sydney grade cricketer's friends, who who actually teased it and said, um, one of these guys, <laughs> yeah. he, he he plays um, first grade at Sydney Uni, and yeah. and they said, um, he's he's two out of three, and we're just we're just waiting for the third, and then we we're given, we we're, I was literally like we were given a screenshot of this guy, this player, and the three messages on the WhatsApp group, three separate messages and each say C, C, C. And then like <laughs> underneath it's another guy saying, yes, lad. Oh, and then Shit's and then this guy has written, yep, and, and a tick emoji. Um, like, 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 don't send this to us, hey. No, because this comes back to us. This is going to be a court case. This is a fucking court case. We'll get him on the show next week to, to verify. Should we um, move on to the next one? So Henry Prince. Uh, Hi, boys. Long time, first time. Over the Christmas period, my mate and I went on a trip to New York to visit another friend who was living there. Our friend's housemate, Austin, a born bred Yankee, took us out for a night on the town at the same time as the second test between Australia and India. As we enjoyed Brooklyn's 169 bars unfathomable deal of a beer and a shot for $5, our New York guide, Austin, became curious as to why my mate and I continued to stare at our phones with a sense of existential dread and why we unraveled into a state of near uncontrollable angst when the bar's suboptimal Wi-Fi momentarily dropped out. After we explained that we were refreshing the Cricket Australia app to track the score, Austin nonchalantly told us he didn't know a thing about cricket. Cut to 50 minutes later, Nosson is able to explain back to us the intricacies of the LBW rule and Duckworth-Lewis system. Both myself, my mate and Austin were all pretty proud of ourselves. A week ago, after not speaking to Austin for six months as he continued his life in the Big Apple, I received a message from him on Instagram. In the message, he thanked me and explained that the night before he'd been at his favourite gay bar when the following occurred. Picture it all. Tall, muscular, devilishly handsome Aussie chap was in a conversation with me and was trying to explain what an LBW was to these Americans. They weren't getting it, so he randomly turns to me and asks, Hey, you ever hear of cricket? You know what a leg before wicket is? And I apply in the affirmative, and he challenges me to explain it. And I do oh so perfectly. The message concluded with, Just so you know, knowing the leg before wicket rule got me laid last night. Thank you. In the, spri- in the spirit of Pride Month, my question is this. Why can cricket 
<laughs> why can cricket get you a chop in the progressive homosexual life nightlife of New York City but in any Australian bar whenever I so much as mention the double edged sword of a Glenn Maxwell at four any hint of a sexual escapade disintegrates before I can ask for the girl's bank details is cricket going the direction of multi of major corporations opportunistic politicians and Taylor Swift by cynically catering to the LGBTIQ community without a proper understanding of the nuances at play has cricket become heterophobic will I ever meet someone outside a kebab shop at 3am in Brisbane or is it best to hedge my bets on an LBW field sexual awakening in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's congressional district? <laughs> Hashtag ask TGC. Why would he ask for a girl's bank details? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the bank before I could ask for her bank details. <laughs> Sorry, Pez. Is there any good date ends? No, I just like the last one. Hedge your bets on an LBW fueled sexual awakening in Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's congressional district. Mm. There's not really much a whole lot we can do with that. I mean, that's just an incredible story, mm. and um, I mean the joke's written up in the question, so fair play. Um, well done, Henry. <laughs> well done, Henry. Yeah, very good. Tom WL, hashtag ICDSC. I'm not sure if you guys take earnest questions on this, but just in case, you've all met a shitload of cricket personalities over the last few years. Which one is the flat-out funniest, including media, coaches, admin, and those, and even those meathead players? Please all choose one if you can. Cheers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Please all choose one. All right. Too many. Cricketers are actually Steve... quite like, um, there's a might surprise, you know, I don't think you guys would disagree, but... There's some um, pretty, like, fragile egos, so I'm definitely afraid of naming just one. Mm. I think inherently Steve Waugh is the funniest, and I don't think he made me laugh once when he was on the show. But everything <laughs> so about it, Steve Waugh is hilarious. unintentional hilarity? Yeah. Or are we talking about someone who's just a very funny human? Gilchrist was funny. Mm, but he's affable he's funny. Like, Steve Waugh is not trying to be funny. Yeah. Brendan, Julian, Ju- was Brendan Julian wasn't trying to be funny, but was hilarious. No, but he was very funny. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Mm. There's been a lot of very nice people. Like, people have been very yeah. supportive. Like, Disarmingly um, nice. Like, like, yeah. like, George Bailey's pretty funny, but, I mean, you know, like, Cat Cowan's the original. He's been extremely mm. supportive. You know, Merv was the mm. first to come on, and then you've got, like, mm. you know, Gillespie's lovely, like, Trent Copeland, Steve O'Keefe's been great, like Ryan Carter's early on, Chris Rogers, mm. you know. Ben, you know, Elise Perry as well was great to have on. Rob Quiney early. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Quiney's pretty episode. funny. Mm. Quiney's funny. Mm. Yeah. My favourite ever one, though, was Chris Lynn. <laughs> Carl Branscombe writes in and says Hi TGC, my girlfriend is currently living in England For a few months with her best friend While she's in London there is a smorgasbord of sports Cricket World Cup, Ashes, Wimbledon, Red Sox for Yankees The Open in Scotland and La Tour de France She won't be attending any of this uh, Instead decided to go to Spain and beaches Like a normal member of society I'd like to know why this annoys me so much That she is not getting sucked into long days at sporting events Critiquing every little decision made by those professional athletes But instead deciding cocktails at five star resorts Are more the go Cheers Carl yeah, why does that annoy you? I think because Kyle wants to be on the holiday. Kyle wants to be on holiday, and he wants to go overseas and see all these sporting events. But sometimes, like, watching sporting events is better at home. I mean, this mm. is, like, the golden time for Northern Hemisphere sports. I mean, he's already listed them there. They're all just terrific. Like, I never thought I could really get into Tour de France. But when, like, when Cadell Evans was, like, there or thereabouts, even before he won it, like, he, mm. fuck, you go into You go into the tour. Honestly, like all the tactics involved, same with like Formula One. You yeah. know, if you just if you have like a passing interest, it's like oh, it's kind of a dull sport. You get into it, oh, you can go, you can get into a real rabbit hole with it. 
It's just so Yeah. Um well just back to the the person who wrote the question for a moment, although oh, yeah. that, that was enjoyable. Um yeah. look, is he just disappointed that he's not there with her? Like I know I've got mates who sometimes schedule holidays with their girlfriends or wives around major sporting events. So you obviously frame it as an opportunity to, you know, go to vineyards and, and, and do cultural things, but in reality you will be you know, the itinerary will, will be completely geared around where certain fixtures are. Is he just disappointed they didn't go there? I mean, that would have been a good move for him because he's obviously jealous. Mm. Yeah, man. Girlfriends living in England and going to five-star resorts and having cocktails and shit. Yeah. Yeah, normal. <laughs> Get on a plane, Kyle. Get on a plane immediately. Yeah. Get on a plane and take it. Take it to Lords. <laughs> Save the relationship. <laughs> go to day four in Birmingham for the Ashes. Then go TJC Live. And then go to our live show at the Glee Club. <laughs> I tell you what. I tell you what, if that, if if day four wraps up the Ashes at like one in the afternoon or something, there's going to be some flogged blokes and ladies at our first show. That is going to be. That's going to be. Is intense. our show a date night? I think it should be a date night event. The Grey Cricket Live Show. I mean, people have brought dates before. People have been known to bring. They're significant others. Yeah. Mm. It's not just for blokes. Mm. It's not just for single blokes. Mm. That's true. All right. Well, we'll be back again on Wednesday morning Australia time after the first semi-final between India and New Zealand and also previewing the big one, the biggest game there's ever been in the history of cricket in the past four years or so. We'll see you then. <laughs>